0: We're going to spend this summer in Psalms, which is not a very creative thing to do, but I, I think that this could be a, a natural rhythm for us in, in um, the, the days and the years um, to come because it's, it's where Jesus spent a lot of time. It's where the, the early church spent a lot of time, and so it's good for us to spend a lot of time there Well, uh, as well. We're going we're to kind of mirror our reading plan, not always 100%. But if you've been following along with our reading plan, reading through the New Testament and Psalms, we're going to be um, kind of teaching on one of those Psalms that, that you would have read um, that you would have read this week or the week upcoming to just try to kind of go along with that. And so this morning we are going to be in Psalm um, Psalm one thirty. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, that we get to be out here and we get to worship in your creation, and we get to worship together. God, I thank you for the warmth of the sun and how much of the year we long for that warmth. I thank you, God, for the the breeze that that is blowing through that, that cools us. I thank you, God, that that we have this place that that you worked in your people over the last 40-some years and, and got us to a place where we even have this space that we can go out and, and worship in our in our front yard. God, I thank you for everything that you have been doing in people's lives to bring them here. I thank, I'm so thankful, God, for some of the faces that I'm seeing this morning that I haven't seen in a long time. God, thank you that we get to see one another. I just pray, God, that you would be blessed in our worship and that we would be blessed in our worship of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just ask you a question this morning, and that is, what, what are you waiting for right now? Like, what would you say right now that you would say coming into this morning is something that you are just, you're just waiting on God, you're waiting for something to take place. You're waiting for something to happen. Maybe it's you're waiting to be delivered from some battle that you are in, for some, from some trial you're in. Maybe you're waiting to be delivered from some circumstance you're in. Maybe you're, you're waiting on God to transform you and change you so that you can get untangled from a sin that you continue to battle. And you just feel like, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting for him to do this. I've, I've asked him, i prayed, but it's not happening. I'm not, I'm not getting the news I wanted. I'm not getting it in the time that I, that I feel like I need it in. And, and when, we go, when we go to scripture, we see that we're often told to wait on the Lord. Right? Like we're told, wait for the Lord. Wait on the Lord often. And, and we don't always know how to do that or why he would be asking us to do that. Like why does he why does he have us wait? It feels almost cruel. It feels almost like uh almost like this this it shouldn't be this way. Like if God can just make it happen, just make it happen already. And I just want to say this morning that God does call us to wait. But he doesn't have us wait to be cruel. He doesn't waste the waiting. Waiting is is not an unfortunate side event and just something that we have to put up with. You know, and God just kind of is arbitrarily deciding to do this. We actually find that it's his waiting that is often the vehicle through which he does all of his great work. It's similar to suffering, the way that we talk about suffering. That waiting joins suffering is kind of the main sanctification tools of God. Most times waiting is suffering, whether in good or bad circumstances. We just already, we just want it to be over already. We just want for him to deliver us. We just want for him to answer. And what I want us to see this morning is just that he is doing an incredible work in the waiting. And the question is just, do we want that? Do we want what he is doing in the waiting or would we prefer for him to just accomplish what we've been waiting for Like he is doing a great works Isaiah 40 addresses this says why do you say o Jacob and speak o Israel my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God Have you not known have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint or grow weary His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the promise that God gives us. And the question is and hear this, because this is kind of a linchpin of everything else. So if everything else blows away, you'll still have this question to hang on to. The question is, do you want what God has for you in the waiting more than you want the thing that you're waiting for? Do you want the strength that God offers you and the blessing that God offers you in the waiting more then you want the thing that you've been waiting for. This is what he gives us. Number one, through the waiting, God changes our prayer life. Like these are the gifts that he gives us in the midst of waiting that only happen in the waiting. So if you look at Psalm 130, verse one, he says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. You hear the emotion in that, Lord? Out of the depths, I cry to you. Hear my cries for mercy. Waiting changes how we pray. Often, all the time, I get people saying, I, I would like for my prayer life to be stronger. We talk about this a lot. People say when we ask, it, like, how's your prayer life? Well, we most of the time feel like it could be better. It should be better. I think it, I, I hear other people talk about their prayer life. We, we want it to be better. Well, this is how he makes it better. This is how he makes it stronger. There is no prayer, like the prayer that comes out in the waiting There is no stronger prayer than when you're waiting for news sitting outside of the operating room. When you're waiting for the the test results to come back. When you're waiting to hear that your child made it somewhere safely when they haven't called for a while. When you're waiting for these things, you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And it makes us learn to pray consistently without ceasing, persistently. Whatever situation, it's only when we are in those times of anguish. It's only when we desperately want something, when we are in that time of waiting, that we cry out in that way. The rest of the time, our prayer life is often just a, a checklist, a thing that we do, a thing, a starting of a conversation but that's different than in times of waiting. So, what is that for you? What situation are you anguishing in? What, what feels like the darkest night to you? Like a, maybe it's a cloud of depression or an illness. Like what are those depths? Or maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't have any depths. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel that anymore. I used to feel glimmers of that. I remember what it felt like to cry out to God in that way. But I don't know what that is. Maybe that's what your cry becomes. God, make me feel again. Make me hear you like I heard you at one time. Make me love you the way that I once loved you. But whatever it is, the psalmist says that waiting on the Lord is the first cry out to the Lord. Cry out for mercy. Confess and repent. Maybe it's confessing that that obvious sin that you know you're in disobedience. Or maybe it's just confessing your impatience. Or maybe it's confessing your apathy and confessing your lack of hope in him. Charles Spurgeon, when talking about this psalm, says, It little matters where we are if we can pray. But prayer is never more real and acceptable than when it rises out of the worst places. Deep places beget deep devotion. Depths of earnestness are stirred by depths of tribulation. We say we want depth with Christ, but we don't want the work to get there. We don't want the depths of tribulation or the depths of waiting, but that's where God works. He will renew your strength through a renewed prayer life. The second thing he does is, in our waiting is he grows our dependence on him. So verse three says, if you, O Lord, if you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What he's saying is if if you kept a record, so in my coming, I cry out to you, I cry out to you for mercy. If you kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? Who could possibly stand before you? I don't deserve any of this grace or any of this mercy, but you, you give it. So often people are scared to go to God. And we say, "Just cry out to him." And we say, "Well, how do I know he's trustworthy? How do I know he's good? How will I know that he'll hear my cry?" Here's my best answer for that. The reason I know that he will hear your cry and that he wants to hear that from you is that you're here. You're alive. If God didn't want to hear from us, if we were dead in our sins and were receiving his righteous judgment on us, we would cease to exist now. The very fact that you can go into his presence today is evidence that it doesn't depend on you because no one could go to him. With him, there is Forgiveness. And not the way we forgive other people. We talk about this sometimes. I'll just briefly say this, that when you wrong another person, often, like if I wrong somebody else, my hope is that they'll give me a second chance, right? We'll even say like that. I'm so, I'm so sorry I did this. Give me another chance. Let me prove myself to you again. But that's not what God does. We often put that on him, but that's not what he does. He doesn't offer us a second chance to prove ourselves he is our chance. He offers himself as our second chance. The very life of Christ. He is our proof. In him we find true forgiveness. Not a, not a second chance, not an acceptance of a promise to do better, but true forgiveness and reconciliation. Like This is who we cry out to. And he says, this forgiveness, he says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What in the world is that about? How does the fact that God gives forgiveness lead to fear of him? That seems like it would be the opposite, right? Well, I think it's here. In Mark, we see the story of the paralytic man whose friends are so desperate for him to be presented to Jesus that they actually climb up on the house where Jesus is and they, they tear a hole in the roof to lower their friend down in the midst of Jesus in the midst of the crowds. And when Jesus sees him, And he sees their faith. He says to the paralytic man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Which is a strange thing to say to someone who clearly wants to be healed and wants to walk. And Jesus says, as he often does, I have something better for you. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes and the religious leaders were sitting there at the time and they were saying, what in the world? Like it's one thing for you to be healing people, but now you're forgiving sins? But they're just thinking that in their hearts. And and Jesus says to them, calls that out, and says, why do you question these things in your hearts? He says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk? Which feels like a trick question. And he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic and says, I say to you, rise Pick up your bed and go home. And he immediately rises and picks up his bed and goes out before all of them. They're all amazed and glorified, saying, We've never seen anything like this. They're amazed because no one has that kind of authority outside of God. Like, do you ever spend that time to wonder and be in awe of the fact that Jesus Christ has the authority that only God has? And so that would be ringing in their heads, as he says even in Matthew 10, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So the reason why his forgiveness of our sins leads to fear is because the fact that he has authority to forgive sins, to make all things right should instill a fear in us, an awe, a wonder. Like what Robbie was even talking about, like more than that, it's not just a respect, like it's terrifying to be in that presence. He who holds not only our bodies here on earth, but our souls for all eternity. And when we are in that waiting, it draws our eyes to that more and more. In our waiting, we realize that we are not in control because if we were in control, we would never wait if we were in control, everybody in the drive through line before me in Culver's would only order a small fountain drink. But they don't. They order like 12 bags of food to feed entire neighborhoods. If I was in control, that would be it. But we aren't in control. And when we wait, we realize that. We realize how small we are. And the smaller we get, the bigger he gets. The weaker we become, the stronger he gets. And our waiting grows our dependence on him. It reminds us that he is the only one that is in control of all things. We are reminded that it is in his strength that we are strong. And thirdly, he in our waiting, he changes our desires. Look at verse 5, if you have it in front of you. He says, I, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. Saying it's God alone I wait for. My soul waits for him. Waiting is is simply the practical rubber meets the road environment where we see if we really believe what we say we believe. I think I've shared this before in, in portion, but when... I wondered, uh, if, you are a, if you're a teenager here, a young adult or whatever, and, and you have faithful parents, you've probably wondered at certain times, okay, is your faith real? Like, Do you really believe? You're, you're pulling me to church. You're, t- you're telling me that I should pray. We, we, we pray before meals. You, you share some of these things. But is it, is it real? And I knew that that was always in the back of my mind. But it was when I saw and, and sat by my mom as she died of cancer and watched my dad minister to her that I saw, oh, it's real. Like it's God alone. It's the simply the rubber meets the road moment where you say, do I really believe the things that I have said? Because it's easy to say, when I'm sitting in air conditioning and everything is going great, it's easy to say, of course I wait on the Lord. Of course my hope is only in the Lord. But when you are in those moments where you have nowhere else to turn, Where you are in complete desperation, what are you desperate for? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that he is good? Is it in his word that you hope or do you find yourself turning to other things that when you get truly desperate, you take matters into your own hands? When you're truly desperate, you try to figure out how you can control things and make things happen. When you're truly desperate, you lean more on your own understanding and think, if I can just figure this out, then everything will be okay. Or do you believe what you say you believe? That it is in Him alone that we hope, in His word that we hope, in His promises, in what He says about how the world works, in what He says about how we should function as His followers. And He says, All my hope. He says, More than watchmen for the morning. Like, if you're a watchman, that's a hard job. You have to stay awake in the cold, dark night and keep an eye out for enemies. Like the only thing, think about that. When you're keeping watch in the cold and the dark, the only thing that keeps you awake is fear. Like only when something startles you, some noise. So you're either like falling asleep or you're terrified. That's basically your life until that sun comes up. And so you're longing for that. Like when's the sun coming up? And they don't have like, you know, watches that tell them exactly. They're just watching the night. Imagine a night with no moon where you don't know. Like, is it one in the morning? Is it two in the morning? Like, I, I don't know. And they're longing for it. They're waiting for it. And so he says, I'm hoping for it. And then it's repeated for this emphasis. Like, I desire God to meet me. He's like saying, more than a watchman waits for the morning. I wait for you. I want that more than anything. I desire for God for you to meet me here more than anything else. Do you believe that? This is where that question comes back into play. Do you want God? Do you want what God has for you in the waiting more than you want what you're waiting for? The issue many had with Jesus, as we know, was that he was offering a different thing than what they were waiting for. They were waiting for an earthly kingdom and he was offering a heavenly one. They were wanting, they were waiting for temporary earthly prosperity, and Jesus was offering them treasures in heaven. They were waiting for people to be more righteous and more holy, but Jesus gave them his righteousness and his holiness. They wanted to be healed of their illnesses, and Jesus had a deeper healing for their souls for them. They wanted bread, and Jesus offered bread of life. They wanted water, and he offered living water. Here's the point. Israel thought they knew what they wanted more than anything. But in Christ, God offered something far better. And the same is true for you and me. If I asked you, when I asked you at the beginning, what do you really want? What if I told you, you don't actually know the answer to that question? I could imagine that being offensive. Like, how could you tell me that, that how would you know, or how would anybody know better than what I know about what I really want? But it just stands to reason that the one who knows you better than you know yourself, who actually created you, knew you before you even had a consciousness, even knew or were aware of yourself, he knew you, that he would also know what you actually desire. Like whatever it is that you're waiting for, whatever it is that you want to gain, whatever it is that you think will make things so much better, whatever you think you want to be delivered from, Jesus offers you something far better. And I don't expect everybody to believe that here this morning but that is his promise things you didn't even know you wanted he offers it he gives you himself so you may find yourself that you're, you're waiting whatever you're waiting on the bible says wait on the lord don't wait in your own strength maybe you're waiting uh, on, on your own self to have enough strength to change like I want to do better I want to be better I'm going I'm to be better stop doing that Stop waiting on yourself to have the strength or the motivation to change. Instead, turn and wait on the Lord. Don't wait. Don't try to make up for things that you've done. Don't try to defeat sin on your own. Don't try to earn your way back into the good graces of like karma or a faceless universe. Listen, the universe, hear me, the universe is not faceless. The universe is created by a personal God. And he, by his mercy and grace, put on flesh, put on a face of Jesus Christ. And through his death and resurrection, you are forgiven and redeemed and renewed. You're free. You just claim that gift. He is the word. Trust in him, in the flesh. And he loved you while you were a sinner and he loves you still. If you believe in that, turn to him. Cry out from the depths for mercy. Put your trust in him alone. I think often for believers where this comes in. So if you're not a believer, like hear that message, come to him and he will heal you. He will renew you. But for those of you who've been walking with Jesus, I find often that we end up waiting for our circumstances to change. We just think like, okay, I'm waiting for this thing to happen because God has saved me. I know that. I believe in that. I trust in that. But it's the stuff around me that is causing all of these problems. Listen, what circumstance are you waiting on that God is not already working in the midst of? Don't wait on those circumstances to change. Wait on the Lord. Maybe what he is doing is renewing your strength in this waiting, and it's better. Maybe he's showing you that it's that's here you are to glorify him. Not some imaginary place where everything works out, and there's no wind, and it's always 70 degrees. Like, that place doesn't exist. Maybe it's with these people he's wanting to fortify you and strengthen you. Not not in some imaginary group of people who, who never disappoint you and never let you down. They don't exist. Maybe it's in this situation, in this marriage, in this job, in this place, God is doing his work of waiting. He's not just sitting there leaving you, kind of languishing and saying, well, one day when I deliver you from this, then I will do this mighty work. He's doing the work now. The question is, do you want that more than you want the thing you're waiting for? And this is the point of resolve in the psalm. This is the point of the waiting where you say, okay, I, I cry out to you. I know there's nowhere else I will turn. It's in you. I'll put my hope in you. I will wait for you. But it's so slow. As he renews our prayer life, he he helps us find our strength in him. He renews, gives us new and better desires. And it's so hard. And we ask, like, why? Why does does he make us wait? Why is it so hard? Like, doesn't that still not answer the question? Like, God could still just do that for us. Maybe you say, I used to wait like a watchman for the morning, but but the morning hasn't come yet. The sun hasn't risen. So now what? Why is he so slow? The answer is actually pretty simple in the Bible. It just doesn't make sense to us. God is slow because he's faithful. What? How does that work? I'm pretty sure that if my wife sends me out to the the grocery store to pick up some things and to get back as she's like rushing to to prepare something and dealing with everything. And if I took like three hours and I come back and she says to me, why did you take so long? Why were you so slow? And I said, because I'm faithful. That's not going to go over well. It makes no sense, but it does with God. Here's why. 2 Peter chapter 3, listen to this. Peter says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you see that? Not not as some count slow. He's not slow. Peter's not saying he's not slow. He's saying he's not slow as some count slowness. He's actually being patient. So what we see is that God isn't slow. We are. It is his patience toward you and me that makes the space for the waiting and for him to do all these things in us. He's not the owner, like I, I don't know if any of you have a, a dog where you've ever done the trick where you put like some kind of treat on their nose and balance it on their nose and then you tell them to wait. Anybody, show of hands, tell me I'm not crazy. Okay, so you tell them to wait, right? You're just like, wait, wait, and the dog's just sitting there just like, come on, come on, come on, come on, and then you're like, okay, go, and they're home. they just chomp it down. I don't have a dog, so I don't understand that. That seems so cruel to me. I'm like, just give the dog the treat. And so we sometimes think that that's what God's doing. He's like, okay, I got it all. Okay, but I'm just going to make you wait for it. I'm just going to make you wait. Wait. But that's not him. Instead, he is a father who waits patiently for us as we stumble in our walking in this new identity. It's more like walking through an airport with a two-year-old who wants to do it themselves. But we have somewhere important to go. So you and I, at some point, you're just taking the two-year-old and throwing them over your shoulder and going because we have somewhere more important to be. But God doesn't do that. He waits. The child stumbles and falls to their hands again and again, and the father waits. And Israel knew this. That's why there's a phrase all throughout the Old Testament that says God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's in Psalm 86, Exodus 34, Numbers 14. It's all over this slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's long-suffering. He waits and he waits and he waits. And what we find is that our God, it's not that we, he, that we are waiting on him as if he, as if we got all of our stuff together and we're just waiting on him to do his thing, but it's the other way around. He has everything ordered in the universe, and through his kindness and his mercy, he waits on us. And though we think of ourselves as following Jesus in like a dignified, fully confident stride, what we see when we pull back is that we are a toddler, walking, stumbling, propping ourselves back up, walking, stumbling. And even though there are important places to go, our Jesus smiles and he waits. And we can know because he is the exact imprint of the nature of God that our father smiles and waits to. He waits for you as you blame anything and everything else until you hear the spirit's conviction of the change that's happening within and you cry out for mercy and forgiveness. He waits for you and me as we throw a tantrum at him, questioning his goodness, questioning his sovereignty as we grow in our understanding of his kindness demonstrated through his forgiveness. He waits for you as you chase other things that he knows won't fulfill you until you realize that your deepest desires are found in Christ. He waits as you find your identity in everything else and get kept up at night by everything else that others think, or the other um, ideologies or worldviews or groups that we identify ourselves with and we place our value in. He waits and he waits as those identities are shaken, until we become secure in knowing that our identity is in him, that we belong to him, that our life is not our own, but it's his. He waits. As you and I learn and grow how to love him and love others, as we stumble and we go again and stumble and go again. And by the power of the risen Christ, you will grow in all these things and he will accomplish it all. As Paul says in Philippians 1 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. That is good news. And so we declare it, verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. With the psalmist we declare this goodness as he comes through this journey. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. That he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We tell the world about this God. Because with him there is steadfast love, plentiful redemption. What does the world have to offer you that compares with that? Who loves you like this? Who redeems you from the pit? But God, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, like the psalmist says in 103, but God, this is what he's done. And he has his promises and he keeps you. He knows, He. these are the promises. There's so many promises of God, but he, he knows you. He is with you. He sees you. He hears you. He has begun a work of salvation in you. He will complete that work that he has started. And that work is for your good. We find all that in our waiting. And I say, what is that worth? I would say that if we truly understood this and believed this and experienced this, then we would actually not want the thing that we've been waiting for. Say, God, don't hurry the waiting. Like, what has he done for you in your waiting? What has he done to your prayer life? What has he done to your desires? What has he done to your faith? What would you trade that for? What could you possibly receive that would be worth not growing more in that? So we say with the psalmist in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. So I'm going to have the band come back up here and we're going to to take communion as a reminder of how he does that. Like remember that the psalmist is writing this just believing that someday God will do this and not being able to imagine what that looks like. But we are able to look back and see what he did. To see how he set our feet upon a rock. To see how he drew us up From the pit of destruction. To see where the waiting takes us. To know that we can trust all of these promises. It's found in the cross. It's found in the cross. And so we take this communion. And if you are a Christ follower, then this is for you. Whether you are a part of this church or you're not. If you claim Jesus as Lord, then you are welcome to take communion. If you're not, if you're here and you're seeking, I would just say just just pass on this and watch and observe and consider what is happening. But in this, we remember what Christ did for us, that his death and his sacrifice for us. And he told his disciples about this. He took the bread and he broke it and he handed it out. And he said, this is my body broken for you saying this is how much I love you, that I would be broken for you. And so as followers of Jesus, we are reminded that it is not our own strength, but his that pulls us through the waiting and we take and we eat. And then he takes, he took the cup and he passed it. He said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And so we, as a church, right now, 2,000 years later, do this in remembrance of him, reminding ourselves of the blood that was shed to secure our place, to forgive us, to redeem us, to adopt us as sons and daughters of the king. And so we do this together in remembrance of him. We are reminded by this communion that he has already secured the victory, and yet we are reminded by the brokenness of our world around us that yet we still wait. And so, our declaration this morning, if you would sing it and declare it, is that we will wait. And I will let you renew my strength, God. I will confess my hope and other things, I will confess other things I've turned from, and I will wait. So I'm going to pray for us That and join in in that prayer. If, you, if, if this is where you are, then join in that prayer and cry out to God from the depths of mercy. And then in the midst of the wind and being outside and everything like that, sing your hearts out as we sing to God, declaring our desire and our resolve to wait for him. Let's pray. Father, we do wait on you. We wait for you. Where else are we going to go? Where else could we turn? You have the words of life. Now we confess right now, out of the depths of our hearts, we cry out for mercy. Out of the depths of our hearts, the depths of our sin that we can't seem to reject, we can't seem to turn from, that keeps grabbing us and pulling us back in, our wayward hearts that keep turning to other things, to finding our hope in other things. We turn from, we confess our desires for our circumstances to change and our, our crying out and our, our, our ac- accusing of you. God, we confess all that. It's from our depths that we cry out for mercy, and we know that we find it, not because of us, but because of you. And in you we receive that forgiveness. And in you will we find our hope. And in you we trust in all things. God, would you renew our strength this morning? As we are waiting on you. And I know, God, right now, that there are people right here in this field and watching online who are waiting. They're waiting to be healed from cancer. They're waiting for a child who has turned wayward to return home. They're waiting to be delivered from addiction. They're waiting to be le- delivered from mental illness and depression. They're waiting for, for a job. They're waiting for a roof over their heads. They're waiting. Well, God, we're waiting, and what we're saying to you right now is in all of those things, We're waiting for you. We're not waiting for those things. We're waiting for you to meet us here, to renew our strength, to give us hope, to sanctify us, to change us, so that we would be like you, that we would enjoy you more, that we would be light in the world. So God, hear our cries. Deliver us. And fulfill all of your promises to do all you have ordained to do while we wait for you. Amen.